God, I, being I, an adult sucks. It sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And today I am joined by Donald Schultz, the designer of the upcoming freelancers being put out by Plaid Hat Games. Welcome to the show, Donald. How are you doing in anticipation of this release? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, you know, just kind of having like, you know, sort of an, a, a constant like uh, uh low level uh panic attack you know what i mean like oh, oh, it's totally. that thing where if my mind thinks about it it's anxious so then i spend a lot of energy just trying to not think about it you know i'm surprised that you have any nerves whatsoever because you've been kind of dipping your toes into the board game space as like a a participant not just a a board game enthusiast but you've been content creating with board sure. with life back in the day you've done all the like plaid hat podcast stuff i mean you you've been in the biz so yeah. does it feel different now that you're going to have your name on a box oh of course man i mean like I always have the reaction of like, I hate everything I make. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. uh, it's just my, 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 my basic natural state is to sort of dislike everything I do and feel really weird about putting it in front of other people. But I still have that drive to make stuff, you know, but with a board game, it's a little different than a YouTube series or a podcast, right? Cause it's like, you're asking for people's direct money. And time. I mean, people can board... give me direct money for this. I don't normally ask for it, but people true, can. True, true, true. I mean, yeah, we had a Patreon on the podcast <laughs> and stuff, so so yeah. that tracks. I guess it's just like like you know when you put out a a uh, a board game and it sucks, that means potentially like somebody had five people over to their house and they bored them to death. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. really. It's a big swing, in my opinion. Yeah, and you're asking a lot of the publisher as well. You know, like so sure. many board games now are being put out by crowdfunding and people are putting them out under their own company. That kind of like auteur, you know, I'm yeah. Red Raven Games. I do all the artwork. I do all the yeah. music and the trailer. But when you are Donald, who is now pitching a game to presumably Colby or someone else at uh, right. Plaid Hat Games... You're going, I think this is going to be a good game. And they're like, I think this is going to be a good game. And then you're doubly crossing your fingers that it's going yeah. to be successful. Well, here's what's what, here's what's weird about freelancers is Colby kind of pitched the game to me, okay. uh, which is backwards of how it should probably go. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like any other sort of like mediocre white male, though, I, I find my way <laughs> to like fail upwards through the like. The things, but Colby was a, a big fan of of the Dungeons and Dragons podcast I was doing, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of stuff on there where I was trying to sort of like mechanize and narrativize aspects of the game that have always just sort of been there, but like in an abstract level, you know, like experience points or a tangible thing in the world, stuff like that. And around that time, I was working on Forgotten Waters from like an audio standpoint, mm -hmm. and I had um, written some stuff for the DLC. Uh, they, they, they hired me to do some of that. And then, um, I had found an old prototype of a game that I had been working on a long time ago, back in the board with life days. Uh, and I, I, when I was cleaning my house 
and I sent a picture of it to Colby. I was like, there's this mechanism in here that I think would be pretty cool in a crossroads game. You should like, you should put it in the, the next game after uh, uh, Forgotten Waters. It's free here, free mechanism. Like I'll never use it. And he, you know, called me and was like, you should use it. And what you should do is because he had several times approached me about like, you should let me do like a board game based on the the stuff you're doing on your your podcast or whatever. And, I, you know, it never made sense to me. That's um, something I've always admired about Colby in general is uh, over the years, you know, like I, I was a listener to the Plaid Hat podcast way back in the day, you know, like mm-hmm, old mm-hmm. school. Um, and I have talked to him and several Plaid Hat folks over the years. I've gotten to know Nikki, uh, your wife, um, through uh, connections at Plaid Hat as well. Um, it does seem like Colby emphasizes working with people that he likes and likes their just kind of creative oeuvre. Uh, and yeah. um, I, I think that there are some people who would uh, say, you know, that's no way to do business, but clearly um plaid hat has weathered the storm uh, of this ever-changing landscape in different ways than many companies have been able yeah. to yeah well there's there's certainly parts of it that are you know bad uh when but that you know uh, like i've worked my whole life you know in the entertainment industry and stuff bouncing from job to job based almost purely off of like nepotism and being funny at parties or something like like very rarely has anybody ever gone like that guy is the best audio engineer in the city like let's get him or something it's usually like that guy's not a drag on set Mm -hmm. i don't want to be stuck on set or i don't want to be stuck in the studio with somebody who's a drag um and there is that is a talent that i think is often neglected to encourage people to develop um in school and stuff, you know, like we focus so much on like the, the mechanics of it, but we don't do a lot of like, also like you got to kind of be pleasant to be around (laughs) or whatever. Well, I want to dive into freelancers for sure, but I also want to get kind of like a read on your history. Um, you know, I know you do a lot of audio engineering stuff, both within board games and outside of board games now, but uh, where I first got to know you was with Board With Life. And, you know, sure. it seemed like this very great production that was being done by uh, these young, cool people who should be making sitcoms pitched to NBC or something. But instead, right. we're making these, like, dumb meeple and camel jokes. Right. Um, and so, like... What was the genesis of that? Was like board games just a, a means to an end, a subject matter to kind of yeah. get your creative output out there? Or were you hardcore game enthusiast before that? And then as you got into audio and video production or acting or whatever that crew at Moonrat was, yeah, you, you know, naturally said, oh, we need to make something about this. Yeah, yeah, we we were. Uh, I, I met those guys uh, and gals um, on a set. Uh, they needed a sound person, um, and they didn't know somebody who did that professionally. And uh, that's a thing I was kind of dipping my toes into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we made an art film together, and I did sound on it, and sort of through. The, I did a lot of little gigs here and there back then when I was living in Austin. But something about that shoot, we were all living in a house together. It was shot in the middle of nowhere. And so for like a week and a half, we were all just roommates, like making this artsy fartsy movie nobody ever watched. 
Um, and, uh, we really hit it off and became fast friends. And then afterwards, um, my buddy, Chris Bryan, who was the camera person on that movie, like he and I had been talking and, and we were getting together and having game nights, you know, all the time to just keep in touch. Like all those people, we were all playing games together. And Chris was like, you know, there's these shows like the league or, uh, um, what was the popular World of Warcraft one at the time? Oh, remember that? Yeah, uh, the I do Guild, remember it. The, yeah, right? the Guild. You know, there's these shows on YouTube. Like that might be a bridge that like an art film that like only shows at festivals doesn't get you. You know, there might be some like like very cynically, right? This is a thing we love, but also it might be a way for pe- people to actually like see it and care about it, you know? And it was also an interesting creative experiment to try to make like a sitcom can I swear at all? Or? Uh, you can swear your heart okay. out. Well, I'm not, it's not hard, but you know, a sitcom ass sitcom is what we would talk <laughs> about. Like, like what if it was like, like, can you, can we do that? Like a, like a 30 minute sick, like, is there a world for that on YouTube? Um, which was very, you know, it comes with its own pros and cons like anything else. But yeah, that, that's where all that came from. Um, and you know, we were just talking, we all still talk. Uh, we were just talking the other day, like Brittany messaged us all and was just like, I really like miss doing that. Uh, it's impossible to do it now. Cause we all have like kids and responsibilities that right. like working for free f- every weekend, uh, for like years, uh, was not conducive to, uh, you know, being a sane, normal functioning member of society <laughs> in other ways, but, uh, we miss it. And, during that time, did you you mentioned earlier, I guess, that you had some prototype for another game? Like, were you thinking about the idea that you could be uh, getting into the industry as far as becoming a designer, or that you could somehow yeah. plant your mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, as a kid, I, I'm a big. I was a big Dungeons and Dragons kid. My parents played, um, and so I just grew up obsessed with it, and. Through that, tabletop role-playing games, I was constantly making them to play with my friends and stuff. Um, And then, yeah, once we were doing Board With Life, I I took several runs at making board games. Um, But I'm a chronic, uh, I'm a starter. I'm not a a finisher. (laughs) Uh, I'm good at like working on someone else's thing and like Mm -hmm. kind of kind of relentlessly. And I'm good at starting things, but I'm terrible at finishing things. And that's something that um, working with other people is really good for me in that way. Uh, you know, that accountability. And so Colby kind of provided that by going like, hey, like you could actually, you know, finish this idea. Uh, I would pay you for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then... You know, like how much free room do you have when you're making this game? You know, like you have this mechanical idea and then uh, Colby says, well, why don't you actually make that into the next Crossroads game? You have Crossroads game as part of the title, which, you know, is kind of an amorphous thing. There are certain things that maybe that conjures up, but you have a degree of latitude with where that can take you based off of the games that have historically come. You know, how much did Colby dictate as far as like, this is what I need this game to be. And how much was it, you know, like 
run with your ideas and then pitch something to me once you have something a little more fleshed out. I think the average person, um, you know, who doesn't know Colby or our process would be pretty shocked at how much free reign and freedom <laughs> I had to just do whatever I wanted. I mean, we would play test the game. Joe, Joe, I, I love the game Forgotten Waters. I yeah. absolutely love that game. It's definitely in my top three favorite games. Depends on the category of what type of game night I'm having on whether I'm going to bust it out. But I, I really, really found that game like inspiring and exciting. And so, you know, Isaac uh, Vega and uh, Joe, uh, you know, <clears throat> with Plaid Hat and uh, and Mr. Bistro, all those guys who worked on that. I had them as a resource. I could play this game with them, you know, and bounce it off them. But but I was really envisioning it as um uh, a, you know, a spiritual sequel to Forgotten Water. I really wanted to hew pretty close to that. And Colby was kind of expecting me to kind of go a little bit more wild west with it. He, he was kind of like, oh, I think you could kind of be riskier with it. And we kind of landed somewhere in between in the end. But he was always kind of encouraging me like because we you, you, so a thing that people maybe not, not think about, right, is like Plaid Hat was owned by a larger company uh, for a while. Um, and then, um, plaid hat, uh, went, uh, I'm saying a lot. I don't, because I'm not hundred percent sure what I'm allowed to say. Right. Plaid, right. Hat, plaid hat went independent again. Colby, right. uh, bought his company back, but without some of the games that they had before. Yeah. And so, um, because of that, uh, financials were scary for plaid hat. There was like, you know, forgotten waters didn't hit, you know? People could lose their jobs. It was some scary stuff. And so along those lines, I was kind of like, you know, you got a good thing here. Like, I'd, I'd love to just kind of build on top of it. Um, and we, we ended up landing somewhere kind of in the middle. It pushes a lot of the boundaries of, of Forgotten Waters. But it's definitely more in line with that than, say, Dead of Winter, the original Crossroads game. Yeah. So then let's define in your mind as the designer sure. of the most recent iteration what a Crossroads game is. Because if we look at Dead of Winter and we're just going to kind of glaze over Gen 7, it wasn't that big of a hit. Things were being figured out, you know, whatever. I don't know. Cool her. concepts. No, I'm kidding. I haven't played it. <laughs> but we compare Gen 7 to Forgotten Waters there's not necessarily a ton of mechanical similarity in there. You can sure. see some spiritual similarity, but yeah. Yeah, there's there's definitely a large gulf. So what to you says, oh, this is a Crossroads game? Yeah, for sure. I uh, The Crossroads cards from Dead of Winter were, were huge uh, for, for me. That's another thing. I was like, I just loved it. Um and Forgotten Waters, it's funny because the first uh, many times I played it, I didn't realize it was a Crossroads game. <laughs> it's kind of like at the bottom of yeah. the box. Whereas like Dead of Winter, it's like Dead of Winter, a Crossroads game. Forgotten Waters is like Forgotten Waters. And then down at the bottom, it's like a Crossroads game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. and playing it, it didn't really jump out at me. Um, but my perception kind of realigned working on it, working on Forgotten Waters uh, when I worked on the DLC stuff. Um, so for me, what a Crossroads game is at this point is a game where your character is faced with narrative decisions that are both narrative and mechanical that impact the game in a big way that are based on the current circumstances 
of the game, if that makes any sense. So the game, you know, knows you are uh, at the gas station with the like to me, like the thing the the triggering of the crossroads card in Dead of Winter is like if the person's here left goes to the gas station, stop them and read this card out loud. And what Forgotten Waters was doing was taking that moment and like kind of like putting it inside the app so there's not a person who has to manage it. There's not a person who because a lot of times in Dead of Winter, people would forget to do the crossroads card or you'd like one person in the group would keep like drawing them, but never get one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and so it was trying to, and so what we tried to do with freelancers is, is make that process more transparent and make it a lot more clear to the people on the other end. So they don't have that feeling as much. So instead of uh, freelancers takes a lot of steps to try to kind of make that player facing a lot more often where you'll, you'll, you'll be faced with those sort of like moments, but the game will kind of like still cue you Mm -hmm. like it'll ask you, you know, like, Oh, is there a dwarf here? And they happen a lot more often. And they're also like on the map. So this game uses a map and wherever roads like intersect with like a bunch of intersections, I just made a space in the game literally called a crossroads. And whenever you go to a crossroads, you get a crossroads event, which hopefully helps make it more clear to people what you're experiencing. That said, I've said this before. I don't have any sway. Nobody listens to me. I tried to shoehorn uh, Crossroads cards into this game still on top of the app um, as like burdens your character could collect or whatever. And the only way that it could be relieved is if the person to your left did a thing <laughs> and then you'd have an event with them and you trigger the bird. It didn't work in play testing, but I still think there's a way to get those Crossroads cards into a future Crossroads game. Um, uh, I still have some love for them for those cards, those those Dead of Winter cards. So don't thing- buy freelancers. <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy some game from ten years ago that I'm talking about. Or buy them both. <laughs> buy them both. I mean, yeah, yeah. you can't Freelan- help but look at the artwork on this box for freelancers and be like, "Well, I want that too." I mean, thank you, thank um, you. So many people don't like it. What? That's unbelievable. Like, I so mean, let, yeah, no, let me get your temperature on this. Okay. There's- so here's how I feel. Uh, you know, like the, the box itself has this very, uh, cartoony, I would describe it not just like adventure time or something, but it reminds me of more than anything like, um, newspaper comic strips. Yeah, sure. It has this, uh, uh, simplicity, this caricatureness about it that's really playful and lovely, but the the depth of color is extremely stylistic. Um, the the flourishes in it. I mean, the the box itself has these brilliant purples and reds and light blue highlights that really accentuate tone. Um, yeah, that I I think without the combination of that sort of you know, like deep resonance with the really lighthearted characters themselves that neither stylistically would be as captivating. Yeah. Um, if it was too realistic uh, as far as how the characters are drawn, then it would just be everything else that's out there, you know? Uh, yeah. That, that, so it's funny. That was a much deeper answer than, you know, I, I expected. So thank you. That's, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Because, uh, yeah, it was funny. I art directed the game, and the artist, um, uh, Sam O'Malley and Allison Carl, are both amazing. Sam is is huge in the uh, indie RPG world. And so to me, 
it was very like kind of scrappy and punk rock, kind of in that adventure timey way. Like it's cartoony, but it looks kind of scraggly and, and mm-hmm. rowdy. If that like if there's like a lot of like, you know, junk and trash or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when we put it out, you know, I mean, you always like focus on like the four negative comments and it's fine for people to not like it. But there's people who are just like, why does it look like it's for babies? And I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's for babies. It looks like it's for me. I'm 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, no. I, I, I love the artwork. And if anyone's like, oh, it looks like it's for babies. I mean, just look at some of the most popular games that have come out in the past 10 years. This doesn't look like Root. It doesn't look like Kyle sure. Farron's artwork, but right. it certainly is of the same approach as sure. something like that, where it is yeah, extremely that... uh, interesting and evocative, but at the same time is simplistic and, and cute caricatures. Yeah. So anyone who's like that person who's like, I don't like Wind Waker Link because this is garbage <laughs> that he looks like a baby. You know what? That is one of the most artistic games in the entire series. Yeah. All right. Go buy yeah, a different exactly. game. Yeah. And the stuff that Leader Games, you know, was doing with those releases and I mean, that was some of the stuff that gave you know me the confidence to want to have cool art uh, for the cool for the cool kids at the back of the class. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. This could be doodled in a notebook and yeah, then painted exactly. over by your art teacher, like your cool art teacher who like yeah. you know maybe also supervised the pottery class and let you make that pipe one time, and he you know <laughs> he was fine with right, it. And right. he's like, let me take that sketch, and then he brings it back and painted it all up like this. That could be the sketch, you know? Cool, that could that's be good. Well, I'm gonna send you a list of people, and you can. You can uh, <laughs> direct message them that you disagree, and that'll make me feel better. Well, talking of the the setting and the art style here, uh, another thing that I've always loved about Plaid Hat Games is that uh, it seems like the designers get to bring a lot of the uh, thematic flair to the table. I know a lot of companies will say like, oh, we like the mechanical pitch, but we're going to retheme this because dinosaurs are so in right now. Or, yeah. you know, like we need a zombie game or this has to fit into our pre-existing world. On the other hand, I know like, for example, in talking with Jerry Hawthorne a few times, I know what stuffed fables means to him, you know, like I know what Mice and Mystics means to him and why that is intimately connected to what he wanted to convey with the game. So what is this setting, you know, this post-apocalyptic fantasy freelancer adventure setting? All right. I'm going to try my best to not be like ironically distant or I'll be sincere. (laughs) I'll take uh, I, I, whatever I you got game. to give. It, it means a lot to me. And, and tabletop RPGs have been a thing that have been uh, part of my life forever. My feelings on them have changed and morphed over the years, kind of along with my own feelings about the world, right? And the game is kind of a reflection of that, right? I mean, there's obviously, whenever you're talking about fantasy, there's usually this this sense that like, most fantasy settings are inherently post-apocalyptic. There's this feeling of like a long time ago, there was magic we didn't understand. There's all these ruins that we can investigate. There, th- there was a better age in the past and now there's monsters. There, like, and so trying to sort of connect that to like, you know, the feelings and of anxieties you have being a, an adult and a parent in 2023 and like trying to make it kind of like funny and like, okay to engage with, with your friends right, right. in a, in a narrative. 
um, where you're not necessarily, it's not like preachy or anything. You're, you're kind of just a bunch of scumbags who are wandering <laughs> this world doing, uh, gigs. Um, but you know, I don't even know if that's an answer, but that's all in there. All that texture is kind of the, the theme of the game. It's you are, you are, you are people who are left with the detritus of our world and, uh, your, your monsters essentially. And you're trying to make sense of the world that we, us, uh, left behind and try to kind of, uh, uh, you know, exist in it. And often you're just making the same mistakes. <laughs> so I am just going to play as Ukla the mock from Thundar the Barbarian and it'll sure. be perfect. That That is my wish fulfillment. Well, this game, what it strikes to me more than uh, certainly more than Dead of Winters, more than Forgotten Waters, it does seem to have much more of an RPG light bent to it. And you've mm-hmm. mentioned RPG several times at this point. And what we know or what I know of the game so far is that there are even like character creations. You pick like mm-hmm. race and class and combine mm-hmm. those, right? Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit more about the some of the mechanical underpinnings that make this game distinct. Yeah, I, the hope was to make some. I have known people my whole life. Like during COVID, I was running a game, an open table uh, game of uh, of uh, old school essentials, which is like 1980s Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. Um, uh, but like put together in a way that makes sense. I was running for a game of like a group of like 31 people, and it was like open tables. Like anybody who wants tonight, I feel like playing. You can just jump on, and we'll figure it out or whatever. I've always like loved bringing people into this because there's nobody who's more fun to play with than people who haven't done it. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense, yeah. that, that sense of discovery of like somebody going like, wait, I can just do that. I can just do whatever I want. But there's such a barrier. Perceived barrier, at least, if not, if not a real barrier for people to introduce themselves or their friends right. to that if they don't have some person there who's been a dork about it and is like, all right, what do you, what do you, what do you, what are we looking for? What's on the, what do you want on your menu tonight? You know what I mean? Like, and so freelancers from a board game standpoint is trying to be a hybrid, like looking at forgotten waters. I saw a lot of space in there where I was like, there's a lot of room to hybridize those experiences of like a party game and a board game and an RPG and finding that, that lane so like in freelancers, for example, there's a lot of occasions where the game is prompting you to like, you can almost always avoid it, but like, there's like times where it's like prompting you to role play, like as your character, like what, like, what would you do? Like there's times where it's like, do you want to roll or would you rather like describe what your character would do? And then there's like mechanical ways where people can vote and stuff to like handle the outcomes of, of these events, um, in ways that hopefully, blur those lines so much that it makes people feel a lot more comfortable about it. The the idea is, is to condense the feeling of like playing a whole RPG campaign in like a single set setting, you know, um, with people has a beginning, a middle and end has multiple dungeons. You visit lots of locations, you beat the big bad and then you move on to a different thing, you know, as a condensed game, you know, like forgotten waters, that's a that's a chonker as far as playing 
a, an entire scenario to start to finish. Yeah. It's maybe not, uh, you know, like playing a campaign of Gloomhaven or something. Right, right. But nonetheless, you know, like that can take multiple sessions. I was finding usually with my play group at the time that um, uh, that I last played it, we were doing maybe like two to three individual sessions per scenario of yeah. um, of Forgotten Waters. What's the the playtime like in this? Are you going to do one and done 90 minutes you've completed it or are you breaking it up into several sessions and you'll culminate to the finale of the story after three or so four sessions? You you can save your game anytime uh and and pick it up again later. Uh the playtime is definitely shorter overall than Forgotten Waters. The experience is kind of more streamlined. A big design goal I had was to be like cuz Honestly, a lot of the time for me, whenever I'm playing a game that allows me to put it away, my friends will all be so deferential to one each other's one one another's time. It just is like guaranteeing you never play the game away. You right, know what right. I mean? Like whenever a game goes, do you want to put it away? So it's like, I mean, I'm okay with that if you are. Well, it is getting late. I don't want to pressure you into it or whatever. God, it, being an adult sucks. It sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah. And so trying to, it's trying to streamline the experience so for example to make it a little bit more literal uh for example in forgotten waters every time you move on the thing you're usually uh opening up a page and doing like a round of like this worker placement stuff and that connects to narrative stuff or whatever that's only like the big moments in freelancers most of the time you're doing more theater of the mind kind of stuff where you're moving across this map kind of indiana jones style point to point and making decisions with each other and and stuff like that hopefully condenses the experience into roughly speaking you have a lot of agency so it can really vary but roughly speaking half the time of a forgotten waters uh of adventure it's hard for me to gauge too when i play because uh we can play very fast um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Some sometimes I think people are not uh, necessarily as uh, uh, honest about that, uh, or at least yeah. self self reflective. Um, we have some awesome play testers, and they're turning in their their times, and and thankfully it's within the range that uh, you know we expected. But I I can certainly play most of them in ninety minutes. You know. Cool. Um, but it's probably going to be closer to two hours to to maybe three for some of the longer ones. They're, they're different lengths, you know, the different adventures. But and and you, how emergent is it? Like, am I going to play a prescribed adventure that's going to be, you know, like a more or less similar experience? Maybe I'll add different characters, maybe different crossroad moments will come up. Sure. But, uh, you know, am I going to overall have the same narrative arc if I replay that prescribed adventure? Right. Or is it more a prompt and then that's going to just diverge wildly from another time playing that same prompt right so that was another design goal of the game with looking at forgotten waters a lot of people play an adventure in forgotten waters and then go we saw reviews where people go i wonder if you could replay it mm -hmm. i really mm -hmm. i really liked it i wonder what would happen and then another person um, I think it was like a dice tower had like a panel review maybe. And one person was like, Oh no, I did replay it. And you, you hear different things. And I was like, Oh, and I thought like, Oh, we should make sure again, make that more player facing where people kind of know, Oh, I could do that differently next time. Right, and that would, right. that would change the story that said, you know, it comes with five stories and each one, 
uh, has like it's like beat to beat moments, but you can change those moments. Um, so uh, the overarching narrative like doesn't it, it, it's not so much like you could just completely like let's not go slay the dragon let's actually go open a bed and breakfast in in utah you can't have like that much of like the uh sort of like uh dungeons and dragons experience <laughs> where people just go like i don't i'm just gonna go do what i want to do but yeah it, it's it's a set storyline in the in the plot beats but they have multiple endings multiple routes you've got a map in front of you so usually visually you can see like oh there's different stuff we could have done if we had gone left at that fork in the road um so i'm hoping people find all the fun content easier if that makes sense if they have that desire to to explore them multiple times oh I'm it's a lot plumb the depths don't it, worry i hope so because it's a lot of writing and a lot of audio <laughs> we did a count the other day roughly and the game so far has 160,000 words uh, in the document that Bistro and I have written. Um, and that's all has will have audio, too, um, which makes it about three times the size of Forgotten Waters uh, well, in terms of <laughs> like narrative branches and stuff. My hope is that I'm going to be able to use this role playing as the narrative fulfillment of Winds of Winter. So, you know, okay, like th perfect. This will just take the place of that, you know, give George a little bit of time to focus on, you know, like, uh, I don't know, wild cards or whatever else. He's I wish I'd have thought of that. I should just do that. We should just make a game. It'd be worth <laughs> it. Would, you'd get sued, but like it'd worth be it. worth there'd be no there's no bad PR or whatever. I don't know if that's true or not, but like <laughs> uh, something if you just were like, this is Winds of Winter. It's official. The official ending of it. <laughs> I love actually it. the next three books. You didn't even know there's three, huh? Yeah, they're all in this box. <laughs> like we made it as a game. You can play it. So, uh, you know, one thing that I was surprised by when I looked at uh, this game, when I first, you know, started to see some rumblings on it is, I was like, it's 2023. And now Donald in front of me is saying words like streamlined and saying things like, you know, we're adults and commitments and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And this says three to seven players on the box, three yeah. to seven. And yeah. I, in some ways, admire the commitment to the three because it feels like every game has to be designed for, like, two-player for market reasons. And one player, certainly, people are going yeah. to solo. On the other hand, I do most of my gaming these days as an adult with a partner, with a kid, yeah, as like the tired hours after the kid goes to bed, uh, playing one on one with uh, that person. Yeah, and now I got to get that third. And I know that that's what was on the box in previous games as well, and there were variants. But like, what was the 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 commitment to the three on this? Yeah. So in modern sort of terms, we're trying to honor throuples. There's not enough. There's so many two-player games, yes. but people who are in throuples, they don't have anything exactly. to throw directly at them. People who are in cults where they have six or seven yep. spouses, you know, I, there just needs to be more of that. And then, of course, uh, you know, Joe, uh, you know, the, who was the, kind of the mastermind behind Forgotten Waters, he made a, a solo. He designed a solo and two-player variant that is available yeah. for freelancers if you want to. But I – and uh, Platt had across the board, 
I can't speak for every game that we've published, but I, I'll say for me philosophically, like I have bought games before that's player count was like, oh, this will support like three players and I want to play with my, and then I open the game and it has like a variant mm-hmm. and I'm like, I really wish you had not put on the box that it was right, right. for this when that's like, I'm going to have to add extra weird rules and stuff. So you can definitely play uh, solo and two-player freelancers, and that is uh, how I'm playtesting it a lot today, these days, as we are sprinting towards the finish line. Because the game is like done physically, because we have an app, unfortunately. Iteration nonstop. For, forever. I could, forever. I could drive myself crazy. As somebody who has trouble finishing things, that's a digital product is the worst possible. <laughs> L- listen to Mr. Activision Blizzard here. I'm going exactly. to expect a day one patch, you know, there, like there will be day one patches. There will be all sorts of loot boxes. <laughs> if you have a gambling addiction. I would steer clear because we are going to uh, eat your wallet, baby. But no, it, it's we have that. And, and it's it's a thing that, you know, is more and more common because people are just more and more busy. It's, it's, it's in, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Cause there's like that era of like Catan and ticket to ride. And, and those of us of a certain age, that's what's like kind of swooped a big chunk of people into this hobby. And then over time you get together with your friends less, staying up till four in the morning becomes less of a thing and you still want to play games. And so we try to honor that, but it just has a, it has some extra rules. And so, yeah, we didn't yeah. want to put it on the box. Philosophically, I I think it's important that um, even if they are not the most popular games that are being made right now, that there are still games designed that would require a certain number of players for the design. If that makes sense, like if everything is trying to be of course tightly accommodating to players. Um, and that is, you know, it has to be just as good at two players as it is at five players, then you're going to have a lot less diversity in the games. To Joe's credit, so Joe Joe Arthur Ellis designed the solo and two-player variant, um, and I I love it. Um, And to his credit, it works way better than I would have expected it (laughs) would have. Um, But there is an element of this game that is very party game-y. Yeah. And so, like, when I was talking about, like, you know, there's moments where it's like, hey, do you want to, like, actually talk to this guy? Like, would you think you could persuade him better with your own words than the dice could do for you right now? Um, That option, as a solo player, just makes you a crazy person, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) But in some ways, I feel like that's in the spirit of the game, too. You know, you're sure, just having yeah, an argument sure, with yourself. Sure. You know, yeah. I can see a freelancer roaming the the, the wastes of some uh, forgotten city. And, you know, they're having just an argument with mut- themselves. Muttering to themselves. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's in theme. Well, I actually haven't spent a lot of time talking about, you know, individual nuts and bolts of playing this game because it's just such a pleasure talking with you uh, in general. And that's kind of more what this podcast is about anyway. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, like, what was that original mechanical idea? The thing that you're like, yo, Colby, check this out. And he's like writes it on a whiteboard and puts a you know line through an S to make a dollar sign. Right. Yeah. Like the aliens pitch. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> he, so the, quick aside, cause this is one of my favorite stupid inside jokes with my friends. So like anybody who doesn't know, 
famously James Cameron, when he pitched aliens, like supposedly wrote, like he just walked into a room and wrote alien on a whiteboard and then put an S next to it and then turn that into a dollar sign <laughs> yep, or whatever. Yep, that's and it. our former, uh, board with life, uh, person I've made things with Casey Bartow always had this stupid short film he wanted to make, which was like a documentary about that moment with like a bunch of talking heads or whatever of these old executives that were in the room. But the true story is, is that he wrote alien on the board. He made an S he turned it into a dollar sign. And then he just said ghost basketball <laughs> and then like stood back and they're like, love the aliens thing. What was that last bit? And he's like, I got meetings all over town. No more questions. Or whatever. I don't know. It's stupid. <laughs> it's wonderful though. It's so weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, the original idea, uh, with the funniest part of it, I'll cut to the ending, uh, which is that I cut it from the game. <laughs> My own volition. I ended up. That's amazing. It. But uh, the idea was um, uh, you have like locate. The game was this game where you had locations that were represented by, let's say, like tarot sized cards. And then you would have a deck of cards on top that were smaller that fit in. So let's say it says like cave, right? And then you're exploring the cave and you flip over a card and it'd be like cave goblin because the two cards are like nested against each other. And then like those two cards would meet up creating like stats that would lead to entries in like an app or something like that. And so I kept like messing with this idea of like every page in the book you're going to randomly draw a card and place it on the page. And that's going to dynamically create a side quest for that page that will be completely unique to your game because like the numerical chance that you're ever going to get this twice would be like impossible. And it's like this extra space on the thing. But then it's like, how much audio and writing right, 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 right. are you actually going to do? And so then it turned into this weird game of like, how do I cheat this system to where I don't have to do all this work? And then eventually we found other ways to take that idea and make it um, more quality than quantity, which is what I was, which is what I was headed toward at that point in play testing was a lot of quantity. I, I, I'm thankful for the quality over quantity, but you know, there's always a chance that you could have just put a thin layer over like an AI input and you know, like you're pretending you wrote it all, but yeah, really it's, it's just a link. Does it? <laughs> I, I think about that a lot. I, I, I don't want to live in a world where I'm consuming art that wasn't made by other humans just philosophically. Right. But, right. I, but I know I am going to live in a world where I'm consuming art that wasn't made by other humans and I'm not going to know it. It keeps me up at night, but maybe I should just be the guy to do it. That's kind of, yeah, exactly. You know what? Can't beat them. Join them. You know, just capitalize on that. There's your apocalyptic wasteland. That, that's what started it all. You know, that's, that's a good question. Uh, thematically, do you know what caused this apocalypse? I do. Okay. Is that revealed anywhere? It's in my head canon. It's never said in the game. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Every they, good... they, the, the characters don't know. They're oh, like, of course. Of yeah, course they don't them, know. To them, it's pretty funny because they talk about the ancients a lot and they talk about humans a lot. And the ancients were like these mysterious people who built this crazy stuff and they made amazing things we still don't understand. And then they somehow killed themselves. It doesn't make any sense, but like they wiped themselves out. Um, and then humans 
are scary, selfish, uh, idiot creatures that sort of live in the shadows that like you tell kids as like a fairy tale sort of bedtime story to, uh, you know, keep them from getting up in the middle of the night. Like the, the two concepts are not necessarily connected one to one in the world of the game. Well, in the plaid hat cinematic universe, it's not too hard to make like a jump from aftermath to this, you know, you could say those gerbils with swords, you know, that was just like a hundred years after the apocalypse. And now this is thousands. This is thousands. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. In my, in my mind, uh, and and directly, the players will definitely not miss out on this if they've played both games. It is somewhere in the timeline of Forgotten Waters, but not in a literal sense. But uh, there are certainly characters that appear in both games. I'll I'll put it that way. Like it, I love it. There's yeah. a couple really notable uh, moments in Forgotten Waters that my wife and I and a couple of friends will still memeify to each other. You know, put into a group text or something. It's just yeah. too good of moments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's like the best stuff games can do, I think, now is create inside jokes and, and ways to sort of uh, deepen your experience with your friends, you know, like that's that's the hope. That's the dream is that people will play freelancers and and like, you know, long after they don't care about the game anymore, they'll have like an inside joke or, you know, some sort of thing that will be a thing that they can text each other. <laughs> That's my dream as a game designer is to create that, to facilitate that. That's what it's all about. Well, Donald, with this coming out at Gen Con 2023, mm-hmm. your name can be said in the same breadth as Uwe Rosenberg and Klaus Ooh. Tuber, Ooh. Reinar Knizia, you know, like all of those are right there. What's next on the game creation horizon? Do you have plans? Are you just going to ride out this for a little while? Do you have anything that you can hint at? I am going to kill Martin Wallace. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I, uh, um, uh, yeah, I've been kicking around a few game ideas, but I, I've been, you know, it's a thing where I'm like, not really allowed to work on them. Like Colby has been very good about <laughs> letting me explore whatever I want within freelancers. Are, but like, are you, you have safe? To are are you in Colby's cage right now? Like it's a <laughs> damn game. I'll come into the office. And go, I got this cool idea, man. It's this game. It's called into the light and you're like dead and you're in hell. And you're like, how do I get out? And he's like, finish freelancer <laughs> and then tell me about your stupid idea but no like in the in the near term uh, some of me and the board with life peeps have been talking about doing a rpg podcast just for fun bringing that back we did that for a while just working on freelancers has made me sort of you know think like oh, i should do that again with my friends it won't be anything high production value or anything anybody should care about but that's kind of something i'm i'm excited about and then um yeah, no, no, no serious board games in the in the. Well, actually, 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 I'll, let's I'll back that with up. This this is a good story. I had an idea for a game that I was pretty seriously working on in the background. I was calling it Billionaires on Mars. I was pretty excited about it. It was inspired by Chinatown. And uh, which is the game I love. I was like, it's a negotiation oh, I, game. I thought you were talking about the movie. So, and no, I, no. Suddenly I was like, how much incest is in this? No, <laughs> <laughs> no it's a, um, you know, it was like, it's a negotiation game. And it's all about like these convoluted three. And I had all these ideas. 
And uh, then Nikki came back from Origins just recently and had played a game. She was like, there's a game I played that you would love. And she described it to me, and it was just like a better version of Billionaires <laughs> on Mars. And I was like, ah, oh, damn. Well, what is this new? I want to play this new game. And I looked it up, and I believe it was uh, – we figured out what it was. because the uh, And uh, let me pull it up real quick because it's a funny punchline if I have to search for it. That's what makes all audio recording the best, right? Is when you can hear just the a, dram a dramatic pause before the joke. The I was like, oh man, my genius idea. Somebody beat me to it. Uh, and the game was, uh, it turns out, High Society by uh, Reiner Kinesia, which came out in 1995. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he beat me to the punch uh, when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. So never I should quit. Yeah. No, <laughs> Freelancers okay. is my well, first and last game. Well, I certainly am excited to check it out. Uh, like I said, it, it's absolutely gorgeous looking at it, looking at the components. I've loved a lot of what Plaid Hat has done in the past. I'm a huge fan of both Dead of Winter and Forgotten Waters, and this looks like an exciting new chapter, especially for someone who... I have played many RPGs, but I'm more of the board game guy, but yeah, I've always wanted for. to scratch that. I've always wanted to really deeply immerse myself in that, but in a board game structured yeah. way. So yeah, this looks yeah, perfect yeah. for me. Well, cool. I I'm really proud of it. Uh, you know, joking aside, I, I hope people check it out. And I'm certain they will at Gen Con. 2023. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Donald, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. 